Good evening, everyone. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and I think we're on verse 10 in chapter 5. Let's pray again. Father, we come before you and we pray, Lord, that you would have a word for each one of us tonight, Lord, how we need to hear from you, how we need your word, Lord. So we pray you would bless us tonight and we could walk out of here, Lord, renewed and free, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. It says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity or meaningless or useless. That fact that there's never enough, never can get filled up enough, no matter what we're desiring. If it's anything outside the Lord, if it's any kind of idolatry, we'll never be filled up. There will never be enough. One commentator said, quote, If anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it is the emptiness it leaves. Man with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than this. End quote. First uh, Timothy six six says, "Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts." which drown men in destruction and perdition. Godliness with contentment. What could be more valuable than that? To be content with what we have, because if we have godliness, we have everything. Elon Musk and Bill Gates are paupers compared to the one who has godliness with contentment in this life. If you have everything. Godliness. Someone who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ Someone who has peace that passes understanding, experiencing situations that could and normally would cause fear and anxiety, yet having peace in the storm. If a person has the peace of God that comes from unbroken fellowship with God, then they are content because they possess everything and desire nothing else because they have everything. Godliness with contentment is not just great gain, it's everything. You're the richest person in the world if you have that. Next verse. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? In other words, the more money you make, the more money you spend. Especially if you're paying for everything with credit cards. We found that if you pay for everything with credit cards, you end up spending more money because if you pay with cash, you experience that loss immediately. Credit cards, it's often the distance. I think it's somewhere in Psalms it says, David prays, he says, Lord, don't make me so rich that I trust in uncertain riches and don't make me poor so that I have to steal. Just keep me in that place of contentment, godliness with contentment, and having just enough, enough to provide for my needs. Psalm 127.2, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. 
the sleep of a laboring man is sleep. Putting in a good day's work, you tend to have a good night's sleep, especially if you're doing some type of physical labor. I remember years ago, many years ago, when I was about 18, I was living in Florida with some friends, and we were starving to death. And one of us had the good idea, you know, maybe we should get jobs. And so I went and I got a job in a brick factory where they make those 12-inch cement blocks. And my job was to stand out in this field, open field in the middle of summer in Florida, and stack cement blocks all day. It was the worst job I ever had. But I never had any trouble sleeping. But there are many rich who lie awake at night because of an investment that might go south. I remember in that job, my last day there, the boss took me out and there was this field as far as you could see with nothing but broken cement blocks. And he said, I want you to clean up this lot completely. I was never so happy to get fired in my whole life. Psalm 127.2, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Verse 13, there is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt, but those riches perish through misfortune. When he get, begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. A person whose riches do not enhance or enrich his life, but actually diminish it. You know, you look at the people who have won the lottery, how many disaster stories there have been for those people. People have been murdered. People have lost everything. Their lives, some people say, I've heard many of them say, win, lottery winners, that it was the worst thing that ever happened to them. Uh, the recent crypto exchange gone under, $1 billion of client funds are missing. I hear that Tom Brady lost, I think, $80 million or something like that recently. Matthew 6.19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, where does our peace and joy come from? Does it come from a savings account or the free gift that has been given us through Jesus Christ, a future that stretches beyond forever? What could be more valuable than that? That's our treasure. However, having our heart's treasure in Christ doesn't exclude faithful stewardship of what God has blessed us with on earth. Verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return, to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? Luke 12:16. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yield plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose things 
whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Luke 12:22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat, nor about the body, what you shall put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Philippians 4.6 says, Be anxious for nothing, which is kind of a strange thing to say. In this day and age, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Godliness with contentment. People who are foolish with God's provision will suffer the consequences. But living by faith is not foolish. It is the only life worth living. Living a life of dependence on God, total dependence. You think of the widow's might. That poor widow who only had two small coins came to give to the temple. And she threw her two coins in. And Jesus said, that woman has given more than all the others. All the rich people who just loaded their money in. And the people around him must have thought, but she only gave two coins. And Jesus said, she gave everything she had. Total dependence on God. Worshiping God with her whole heart. Knowing that her God would take care of her. That's a peaceful, that's the peaceful life of faith, knowing that God is going to take care of us. And how important it is, you know, people are always wondering about how to raise children, the best ways to raise children. One of the most important ingredients in raising children is that for parents is living this life of faith, that kids are aware of the needs within the family and see their parents praying about everything and resting in the faithful dependence on the God that they know. For kids to see that, that is a huge witness for kids to bring them to a place of faith when they see their parents living a life of faith and dependence on God. And do we expect good from the Lord when in need and we pray, when we, when we fail and we pray for mercy? Do we expect good from the Lord? At our last breath, every single one of us will be able to say, look back on our lives and say, I have received only good from our Lord. And if there is any regret, it'll be, I wish I had trusted him more. Too much time wasted in worry and fear and self-condemnation. Verse 17, all his days he also eats in darkness and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Who does? The person who puts his faith in anything or anyone other than the living God, the person who commits idolatry. Jonah 2.8 says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Verse 18, here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun, all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, 
who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. To trust in the living God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Our heritage is, our heritage is not from a trust fund or an estate, and it doesn't come from our own labor. Our heritage is eternal life that comes from the work Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we shouldn't neglect to fully enjoy the blessings God has given us during our time on earth and be thankful. Verse 19, For every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart, which is all true. Yet the eternal is reality, and the eternal is more of value than the temporary. A person who is serving Christ is truly alive. A bondservant of Jesus Christ has purpose, fulfillment, joy, peace, and a clean slate every morning whether they own a billion-dollar company or working the friars at McDonald's. There is no other life than living for the will of God. Our desire is to please God. When we know and we see the grace of God, we have a desire in our heart. We want to be pleasing to God. Second Corinthians, Paul said, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That is our desire, to be found well-pleasing to him. But we fail sometimes. We fail to be pleasing and do those things that please God. Like David, in Second Samuel it says, And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house after he had committed adultery and murdered her husband. And she became his wife and bore him a son, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And David prayed, and his prayer was, Lord, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He knew that there was no other hope for him than to have that joy of salvation restored to him. We hope to grow in our knowledge of the Lord, we hope to grow in our worship of him in spirit and truth, to be found well-pleasing in his sight. And many times we realize we have a ways to go down the road of sanctification, and we hope to do better than we have in the past or are presently doing. I found a quote from a Bible teacher from a long time ago. And if you have a pen, you might want to write this quote down and really ponder it and really think about it. The quote is, to, to hope to be better is to fail to see yourself in Christ alone. I think the understanding of that brings the fulfillment of Jesus' words. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So chapter 6, verse 1. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it. 
but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it is an evil affliction. Regarding this, the scripture I thought of when I read that is Job 1.20. After Job had lost everything, foreigners came and took away his livelihood, they killed his servants, and then the enemy came and took the lives of his children. And it says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. It's sort of like Job was saying, I brought nothing into this world. Everything I had was given to me by God. The goodness of the Lord has given to me, and the goodness of the Lord has taken it all away. God doesn't change. I can't complain. I can't charge God with wrong, because the same God who gave has taken away. He is perfect in all his ways. He is light. There is no darkness in him. The only one who can be charged with wrong is me. Everything allowed through the hand of God is for good. Verse 3, if a man begets, begets a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. A person can seem to have everything, an army of children, a long life, and still die empty if he is not satisfied with goodness. And goodness can only come through the knowledge of God. There is no other source. There is no other goodness, Solomon is saying. Better to have never been born than to go through life under the sun and never fully entering into the knowledge of the love of God. Goes on, says, For it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man. One commentator wrote, Better to miscarry at birth than to miscarry throughout life. Verse 6, Even if he lives a thousand years twice, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place. You can see in some of Solomon's writings a, a kind of uncertainty about the afterlife. And you can find that in various Old Testament writings. There isn't the certainty that New Covenant saints have of who enters the kingdom and, who, and why. Old Testament saints were under the law. And unless given the revelation of, I know my Redeemer lives, who can be sure, knowing that the law is good and perfect, and yet knowing one's inability and failure to keep the law. Seven, all the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. Feedings, feeding one's face is good, but feeding the soul and spirit is more necessary. Deuteron Deuteronomy 8.3, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Notice it says, by every word. Not every chapter, even not every verse, but by every word. Maybe we shouldn't gulp down our spiritual food in large bites, but savor it in small pieces. Luke 4.3, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. 
But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. If a person has a stockpile of food and a gourmet chef to prepare it, but doesn't have the revelation of the word of God, all he has is a slow death. Verse 8. For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? We tell the kids in Sunday school that a person can be smart and foolish at the same time, rich and poor at the same time, poor yet rich at the same time. It all depends on what they have. Is what they possess temporal or eternal? To walk before the living. The Bible speaks of the land of the living. How glorious it is to know that that is where we will move to forever. We have the most valuable possession that ever was and ever will be, hope. Psalm 27, 13, David said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we are going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 56, 13, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Verse 9, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. What one can see is better than what one desires, perhaps speaking of contentment, but for us, Anything we can see with our eyes is temporary and not going to last. We live by faith and not by, not by sight. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in verse 10, Solomon writes, Whatever one is has been named already, for it is known that he is man, and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. It sort of sounds like Solomon is lamenting. God is in control and I'm not. Therefore, the world is not what I would have it to be. And my way and my desires are vanity. Verse 11. Since there are many things that increase vanity, how is man the better? You know, what's the sense? Everything is meaningless. Life is ultimately meaningless, Solomon is saying. You know, I'm thinking of starting a greeting card company, the Ecclesiastes greeting cards. Happy birthday, your life is meaningless. I'm going to make that one. Verse 12, for who knows what is good for man in life and the days of his vain life which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? Solomon, searching for truth, searching for fulfillment, searching for purpose, and never finding it in life under the sun in all his endeavors on earth. Solomon, you know, what was his desire? God said, ask me for anything you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom so that he could fulfill the calling God had on his life so that he could be used by God to care for his people. And God gave it to him along with everything else. Solomon was perhaps the most accomplished person in history. He built the temple, the centerpiece of worship for God's people, a place whose very design would prophesy of Christ. And he ends up, in the end of his life, building temples for the most abominable idols known to man. You know, where did he go wrong? 
I think he looked for fulfillment and goodness in things other than God, always thinking that there must be something more and finding out that there isn't. There is nothing more than what God has for us. Colossians 2.8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Okay, chapter 6, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of one's birth. There's another card for the Ecclesiastes greeting card company. Happy birthday, cheer up, pretty soon you'll be dead. I'm definitely going to make that one. A good name, a good reputation at work, in your neighborhood. I think a good name is included when the Bible talks about being blameless, that no one can be, no one can point the finger and accuse one of being a hypocrite. A person's life is such that people can say his life affirms his beliefs. I may not believe as he does, I may think he's a fool for believing as he does, but his life aligns with his beliefs. He is honest, he's real. A good name is essential if we are to be an ambassador for Christ. And the day of your death is better than the day of your birth, Solomon says. People would say, that's crazy. The day I was born is when I first breathed air and came into this world. The day I die, I no longer will be here. Life would have ended. People would say, the day of death is better than the day of birth. That's sick. It's a death wish. Yet for believers, our lives don't really begin until we leave this earth and leave these mortal bodies. 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We don't, as Christians, we don't want to die. We want to live. No one has a greater desire to live than a Christian and to live a life so glorious as to be beyond our comprehension. And there are two words when meditated on should cause our hearts to burst with joy unspeakable, eternal life. This life can only be obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.11 And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Paul goes on, he says in verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. 
for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. A weird thing to say, sorrow is better than laughter, a sad heart is better for us. Happiness, I found, is not always my friend. Happiness is fleeting. It depends on circumstances, and circumstances change all the time. Happiness is not always my friend. When I, when I have concerns or going through a trial, I am in constant prayer and a state of desperate dependence on the grace of God. When the trial is over and the storm passes, I can feel myself slipping out of that prayerful, dependent state. Of course, don't get me wrong, given a choice, I will choose happiness any day of the week. I like happiness. Happiness and prayerful dependence are both caused by circumstances. Our prayer should be, Lord, no matter what today brings, may I be found with you. That way, I don't have to wonder where you are during times of trouble. And in your presence is more than happiness. In your presence is fullness of joy. Romans 5.3, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. 2 Corinthians 12.8, Paul had a thorn in the flesh and some type of illness, and he said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And how can you be strong when weakened by circumstances? Because your dependence and assurance of salvation and care are in the creator of the universe. Verse 4, back in Ecclesiastes, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the, heart, is in the house of mirth. My wife thinks my family is strange because we love a good wake. It's the Irish in us. The Irish people love two things, weddings and wakes. And the, the Irish had a way of combining the mourning with the mirth. At the wake, sometimes, they would prop the deceased up in a chair and put a drink in his hand during the wake. But, in, but the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, because that house brings us back to reality. The house of mourning causes us to realize our mortality and makes mortals wonder what comes after. And hopefully, that wondering will bring them to the source of life. Yet the house of mirth is also needed. We just don't want to live there. We need to laugh and we need to cry. Studies show that both are necessary. We need those release of endorphins in our brains that ease both physical and emotional pain. So it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. I would rather have the wise 
rebuke me than to hear the song of fools. And today in our culture, the song of fools is being played all over the place. So that's all I have for tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that it is Christ alone that we stand in, Lord. It's not our work. It's not, our, it's not even our desire, Lord. It's you. So thank you, Lord, for your grace. And we pray for this week, Lord, that you would send us. Send us to work. Send us to our neighborhoods, to our families. And when you send us, Lord, you provide us with everything that we need. So, Lord, pour your spirit out upon us. And, Lord, bring us close to you. We just pray, Lord, this week to be found with you, Lord, to stay with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.